Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby. Let's join Mike and Kentucky Dave as they strive to be informative, entertaining, and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave, episode 83, and I think the, somebody let the gremlins out. Yeah, we're, we're going to get this one in the bag some point. <laughs> well, we're about two days off our normal record night. And yes, that's true. It's just a, It's like a dump truck full of life backed up to the house and let it <laughs> rip, man. But we're here. We get to talk about models. That's a pretty good, we're doing pretty good. Pretty good deal. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, on that train of thought, Dave, what is up in your model sphere this week? Well, my model sphere is actually really, really good this week. Uh, as listeners know from previous episode, I was supposed to be in a jury trial this week. Uh, it's settled at the last minute. So that freed up a bunch of time that I then put to working on the Musaru. And now there's at least a glimmer of hope that I will finish the Musaru in time for Heritage Con, or in time to get the photos in for Heritage Con. And in the meantime, a lot of the modeling I've been doing, things have been go, you know, knock wood, things have been going really well. Uh, I've been enjoying it. And it's just, not only that, but there's been a lot of interaction on the dojo and on Facebook. No matter how my day is going, at some point, I'll get an interaction with one of the listeners, and it never fails to make me smile. My model's fear is darn good. How about yours? Well, I'm going to elaborate on that uh, Heritage Con mention you gave. Yeah. We're going to Canada, Dave. I know, man. I got, I, listen, I got final approvals today. Well, we, we dropped that Easter egg in the 12-minute model sphere last week. Man, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to this trip, man. Um, I am chast. We're get to gonna hang out. We're gonna get to hang out with the, all the Canadian friends we've made over the last two or three years, and it should just be a really, a really great trip. Now, probably a little shorter than we'd hoped for, but hey, we're gonna come. Yep, we are gonna do a dash up and back to Canada, or as I referred to it when talking with my wife, a suicide run. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this should just be a really great trip, Dave. We'll leave out of here early on Saturday, and we'll get up there mid-afternoon. It shouldn't be too bad. And then uh, all day Sunday at the show. Yep. And then, uh, you know, we won't be time-pressed to get back at least to the degree that we want to get up there. So go have a good breakfast with those guys before we, before we head back to the United States. Now, now you're assuming that we're not getting stopped at the border and strip-searched and and the whole nine yards either going I'm, or I'm coming. I'm counting on that not happen. <laughs> happen. Uh, yeah. If they well, break out the gloves. I'm going to say it's all you, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, pre <laughs> I appreciate the solidarity. <laughs> no, but that should be great. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, we've got Columbus coming up, then we've got Heritage Con. And, uh, you know, at the, the beginning of, of, contest season is just it jazzes you up because you're going to get to see modeling friends you're going to get to see what everybody's been building even if you've seen it 
on the inter- pictures on the internet. There's nothing like seeing it in person. And uh, who knows, you might pick up some interesting stuff along the way. I'm, I'm jazzed for it. Well, I don't know if you listened to the last Plastic Posse podcast, but uh, they were running down their hopeful show attendance here in the first part of the year. And they mentioned Heritage Con. They're gonna, actually going to be at their Commie Fest show in, in, in uh, I guess that's in Denver. Yeah. And they won't get to make it up to this one, at least not this year. Wow. And, uh, it, JB said it was the largest one-day show in North America. It could be. I'm, I'm now, I think he's been to, before, so you know he would know. Uh, he's not one to talk from a position of uh, ignorance. So yeah, I'm going to assume that's correct. I want I want to see it. I'll, I'll be interested to see. I've never been to Heritage Con. Uh, I've been to the last Canadian National in Ottawa. Uh, I've been to a model show in Toronto, but I've never been to Heritage Con. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Me too, man. All right. So since we're recording an episode, you know what that means. That means we got to have a modeling fluid. So what modeling fluid does Mike have? Well, I hope I've got enough if this, these gremlins don't go away. Uh-oh. Dave, I'm hitting the Russell's Reserve 10-year again. Ooh, you really must now, have liked that to bring it back yeah, so quickly. Yeah, it's good stuff. This, uh, you know, we gave, my wife gave some to her boss as a Christmas gift. Well, the they- the collective office did and uh, he really liked it and so we had a listener post a bottle oh yes we did you're right so i so saying i'd done them a solid by recommending that one because yeah. i mean for the price for 10 years pretty good now it's become a regular for me uh not sure it's dis- displaced the bullet yet but i don't know man there's time, potential time will, t- time, time will tell on that one well good what are you doing? You still working through the beers you got for Christmas? Yes, I'm working through the beers we that I got for Christmas for my wife. Uh, told she bought them specifically to be the modeling fluids on episodes. And tonight we have from Stone Brewing out of Escondido, California, and Richmond, Virginia, Stone Brewing's Delicious IPA. It's a 7.7 ABV IPA. Another ambitious name. That's not bad. First first impression very good. We'll see we'll see where this uh where this gets us by the end of the episode and there's a Richmond tie-in later in the show. Oh, okay. I think I know what it is, but we'll see. Yes. Maybe two. Okay. But we'll save that. I tell you what though, we're not going to save Dave. What? We're not going to save any of this listener mail because if we do, we're going to have so much next time we won't know what to do with ourselves. Okay, that's good news. Everybody's th- everybody's through the holiday, the doldrums of January, and people are listening and uh, interacting. So I can't wait. What do we got? Ah, uh, first up is Ray from Bay City, Michigan. That's yeah, a uh, rainy gray mid Michigan. Now their show is we talked about it last time, right? I don't have that in front of me, so I can't I can't say much more about it. But uh, anyway, he's in mid-Michigan. On his bench is a 30-second scale Ravel Huey. It's going to become a Canadian SAR bird. That is one of the first models I remember building as a kid. Well, Ravel had, they had the gunship. Right. And the it's one the I helicopter, built. The Vietnam shooting up the yes. bridge. That's the yeah. one, that's the boxing I had. And then he had a Cobra to go kind of with it. Yep. Says anyone building this kit needs a playlist. 
Yeah. Interesting selection. Uh, he's uh, recommending Irene Cara's Flashdance. He's got a feeling, I guess. Uh. <laughs> I think that's the song, right? Yeah. Uh, and Johnny Cash's Ballad of Cumberland Gap. Oh, that's an interesting and eclectic set of choices. I would have thought we would have gone with Fortunate Son and Ride of the Valkyries and, you know. Yeah, all that. All yeah, the stuff all from that. Good Morning Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam. Try again, Dave. It's, it's Apocalypse Now. Well, that too. <laughs> but all the all the 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 classic '60s Motown stuff. Uh, yes. The soundtrack for a number of. Uh, well, they played "Fortunate Son" by CCR in a, in a Forrest Gump, right? Exactly. Well, as an aside, uh, I go through the Cumberland Gap every time I go see my parents. So there you go. There's yep. a tie-in. How about that? <laughs> Uh, he claims to be an old and an, an old and inexperienced modeler, and he appreciates your comment regarding building models in or as subassemblies. Yep, it's allowed him to focus on models and sections and better retain his goal. And also, if the model turns out to be the be a bust, <laughs> he can always look at a particular subassembly and take something good away. That's absolutely true. This may be a crappy helicopter, but damn, that tail rotor is nice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, I, I masked those paint lines on those rotors really well. That's right. Absolutely. You got to take the victories where they come. Even if you got to scratch around a little bit. Exactly. Uh, it's got a few questions for the wheel of uh, accidental wisdom. So we'll, okay. we'll, we'll park those for a little while. Uh, and his real question is uh, regarding modeling fluids. Uh, he likes Canadian whiskey, but uh, he'd like to try a good rye. Any recommendations? Uh, now I'm not I'm not a rye guy myself, but I have had the bullet rye, the green no, label. Pretty good. It is pretty darn good. The Sazerac rye is pretty good. I've never tried it. Well, we got a bottle of Nats. But did you yes, take you it or did I? I think you took it because I don't have it. Oh, I don't. So you might remember. need to you need to scratch around there, boss. Oh, great. <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, the volume was forgetful worthy. I mean, yeah, really. yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Ray, I will let you know because uh, uh, I had one before Thanksgiving at a friend's house, and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it doesn't get much better than what I had from that one. So I'll try to follow up. And if I fail to do that, you message me again and remind me, and we'll we'll figure it out. Just more generally, Mike, anytime we interact with any of the listeners through email or DMs and we say we're going to, we'll get back to you on something and we don't, please, please reach out again. Mike and I both have pretty busy lives, especially with uh, all of our family obligations plus work. Uh, I mean, Mike is putting things in space. It doesn't get more complex than that. So if either one of us forget, don't feel bad about reaching out and saying, hey, you were going to get back to me. Please do. We can't remember everything. No. Hell, we can't even remember half of everything. Up next is Zach Peace from Sun Drenched Mansfield Center, Connecticut. Oh, man. He enjoyed the Wheel of Accidental Wisdom. I enjoy doing those. Well, he says, uh, you know, in this world of social media, he's wondering... Well, let me back up. Jim was talking about fear as an inhibitor to our, our modeling, and he thought he thought that really hit home with him. With mm-hmm. him. He didn't want to beat it to death, but he, he said it's a real thing. And uh, 
you have a vision in your head of how you want things to go and when it goes pear-shaped along the way, uh, that's a fear you develop that that's going to happen. And, and when it does happen, I guess you kind of feel kind of crappy about it. A corollary to that is the better the model's going, the, the more that the fear creeps in. Because you get 90% of the way there, you're much more fear, fearful you're going to screw it up in the last 10% than being halfway into it. And being fearful, you're going to screw it up. Well, and he goes on to talk about social media. I mean, how that's kind of possibly made this worse because. Oh, I agree. It's the whole dare, the dare to compare. Yes. And that's true, not just in modeling, but, you know. Oh, yeah. You got you got these quote unquote friends out there on Facebook who are going to Tahiti and. Right. Riding around in sports cars and crap. And, and uh, they're probably not really doing that stuff. A, that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, the folks who are really posting their life on social media are presenting an image, not an actuality. Social media is a double-edged sword. We've, You and I have talked about YouTube extensively and Facebook and the dojo community and all of the pluses that you can get out of that. And there are tons and tons of pluses. But you can, especially if you let it get to you, where you start comparing yourself to other people, you can get into your head so deep that it'll, it basically will freed you from modeling. Like anything else, moderation's the key. Well, he says compared to some of the uh, publications before the internet, the, the forums that came with the dawn of the internet, it's he's, he's like Facebook and YouTube and all this stuff is, is just different because you got this combatant flow of exquisite work from top shelf modelers all over the world. And it's, it's, it's easy to set your expectations high and, and even suffer some intimidation from it all. It, it is. It's a far, as opposed to like the early days of the internet where there were forums you chose to go to with, with uh, Facebook and, and Instagram and all it's a fire hose coming at you. Oh Yeah. Much of it curated by AI and and algorithms. And if you look at some things more, you're going to get fed a ton more of that stuff. And yeah, you can. It's it's easy for that to to get inside somebody's head. So you know, I love social media. I have praised it to high heaven as to what it's done for us and our podcast and the community we've built. Man, if you find it, you know you you've got to you've got to be careful and curate your consumption of it, and make sure that it's that it is a positive experience. And if it doesn't, if it stops being a positive experience, take a break, take a step back, and figure out what you need to do to 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 make it a positive experience again. Or turn yeah, just turn those off for a little while. Exactly. And and I think that's probably healthy no matter what. And also, Dave, music did not die in 1976. If you insist in this heresy, I will refer you to Bruce Springsteen, U2, and Van Halen. Don't make me get out the peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it, but you're wrong. Music did die in, in 1976. Bruce Springsteen is probably one of the prime examples of that. Uh, don't, 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 don't let me, don't, don't start me down the Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get into that, but 
I have been enjoy, enjoying a lot of older music off of YouTube and, and uh, really been enjoying it while I've been building the Arma P51. So whatever, whatever period you like, there's lots of good music out there for you. Chuck Doherty, North Little Rock, Arkansas. You wanted to hear from somebody who keeps the boxes for his completed kits. Uh, I'm that guy. Oh, I wow. keep all the unused parts and aftermarket for each completed kit in this corresponding corresponding box. Then if I need something on a later build, I can think, hey, I've got this in part or that part, or and it's it's in that box, and you can go find it. If you have that kind of space, that makes perfect sense. And he says, pardon the dig, but I laughed when you guys were talking about storage requirements of keeping all of those all of those boxes. You two could share a single tote. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's probably true. We our output is uh, low compared to some of the other folks out there in the model sphere, even the pod podcast uh, sphere for that realm for that yep. uh, for that matter. Uh, but that's okay. That's us, and uh, I think uh, that qu- that response was not indicative of our own situation. That was a, a more of a generality. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not filling up landfills with box with with uh, empty model boxes from completed kits. Yeah, we don't have this problem, but uh, verdict's still out of whether that or not that's a good thing. True enough. Here's another one along the same vein, Dave. It's from our friend Derek Post. I think did Derek give us that that scotch? I think he did. I think he did. Well, if he did, Derek. Uh, my better half just put the final polish on that. So good on you, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Random thoughts from this past episode. Fear. He says he doesn't have any, but uh, I do think about it when he, when he do a model uh, based on his skill, or I guess uh, maybe outside his skill. Gloss paints. His gloss paints need work. Uh, he's got some blue, blue angel aircraft he wants to do, apparently. Yeah, I imagine you do. Yeah, that's. Gloss paints are tough. Box tops, again. Okay. The, the box tops are kept if they were are in good condition. Instructions are bounced off scale mates to upload or not. Hey, somebody who actually does that. What do you yeah. know? I, w- I see them out there. I'm like, wow, I just threw mine in the trash. I wonder if that one's on, <laughs> on scale mates or not. I, I will admit to actually checking before I throw mine away. Well, and then he says uh, the ones that do not get uploaded – are used by his wife and she includes them in her art. Oh, that's a nice repurpose. That begs a question, right? Which is we're going to have to see what this what this what he means by that. Yeah, that's right. We're going to need a picture. And then an aha moment came from our podcast Unicorn Tears has helped insanely. Oh, yes. Uh, there's a reason it's called Unicorn Tears. It is just one of those modeling products and there are very few of them where that particular product or tool makes a huge difference in your modeling. I mean, most most tools or products make a small incremental improvement. Unicorn Tears is one of those ones that makes a major change. He's got a question for the wheel, so we'll tuck that one away. Thank you for that, Derek. Man, we got a lot of these, Dave. I know. Jason Campbell. Now, he was the one who... Uh, Airing a little dissatisfaction about the shop talk at the show in Chattanooga about the gunplug stuff. Yeah. Basically, he's he's just uh, 
sent us some details about the uh, the Gunpla life in his area and uh, just thanking us for uh, giving it the attention that we did. Well, it deserves it. It's an up-and-coming area of modeling. It's got uh, skills that are different than and complementary to other areas of modeling. It, 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 it deserves the same respect as any other genre. Well, it wasn't about this in particular, but it, it reminds me of something you said, and it could be applied to the folks who are so um, constipated about this topic. Uh, you can either uh, get on the train or get run over by it, because this isn't going away. No, absolutely. <laughs> and they do some amazing things, and you, you're going to learn something if you look, even if you don't like big robots or whatever yeah. you want to call them. Seriously. Oh, Rock Rosak from Detail and, Detail and Scale. Okay. Now, they're running this ad over uh, at the Model Geek, so we won't steal too much of their thunder. But uh, Rock says he's delinquent reaching out to us and very appreciative of the kind words and positive comments we've given them in the past, especially the A6 Color and Markings book uh, we mentioned last time. So what's Rock got now? They got another book, of course. F-117 Nighthawk Stealth Fighter, an Illustrated Developmental History. Which is a great choice because, you know, those things were quote-unquote retired many, many years ago. And then only in the last couple of years have we learned that they're not retired, that they're being used for uh, out at Red Flag for aggressor, stealth aggressor training. They're being used by the Navy in their attack simulations off the off the coast uh, in their fleet problems, and it looks like uh, the one seventeen is going to be around flying for many many years. So it's a timely choice. They have this is actually a re-release for them. They they've opted to republish a book uh, that was published prior by Specialty Press back in two thousand six. Now, it's a pretty comprehensive book on the F-117, and uh, Rock says that a portion of every sale will go to the Stealth Fighter Association, a nonprofit that serves the F-17 community. And uh, again, he thanks us for uh, helping him out. So detail and scale, check it out. If, uh, if you like the F-117 and like good aviation books, uh, you can't go wrong. He sent me a graphic that we will put up on the web page. Good. Well, on the Facebook page. Sure. How about that? John Pisano, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And uh, he writes in pretty often. Well, he was working on Hasegawa's uh, bow fighter. Close to finishing the project and uh, lost a propeller on the floor. Oh, please tell me he didn't step on it. I'm going to tell you he stepped on it, Dave. Oh, <laughs> well, there are aftermarket solutions. <laughs> That's what he's asking. <laughs> yes. He got an aftermarket resin replacement. Took about two weeks. Yep. Uh, blades in a separate hub, so it was a little harder to manage, I guess. Well, if you go to UMM USA, they sell a tool specifically for lining up propellers where you have separate blades and hubs. It comes in a, both a three blade and a four blade version, and uh, a. I I own both of them. I can highly recommend that. And it assists greatly in doing that lineup that needs to be done. That is exactly what he's asking, Dave, because he got <laughs> this thing and it was separate parts. And uh, he's asking if there's an online store that we would recommend. <laughs> Boy, I'm Karnak. 
Hmm. You're Karnak. You realize right. no nobody under my age knows who Karnak is. Which, by the way, if you ever go through YouTube, a lot of the Karnak routines are on YouTube, and they're great to watch. But yes, US, UMM USA, they have a tool for both three and four bladed props for that exact situation. And it's not terribly expensive as I remember it. So go check it out. I've got one for my little Arado float plane. That's a, a prop from, uh, as a quick boost. Yes, it could be. And, they, and it's got, it's from. got, it's got the alignment jig in it with the, with yeah. the, you yes. got to do them a blade at a time, but, uh, it's set up to where that's not a problem, but it sets, I guess it sets the, you know, the pitch for you. Yeah, exactly. Which is always the, the difficulty. So UMM USA. Yep. It's turned into an expensive accident. Yeah, well, but th- then again, you'll have it, you'll have the tool and you'll be happy that you have it because you'll need it some point in the future. You think he's not, he's not going to drop anything else ever. Again, yeah. All right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Dave. Rob Hallinger, and uh, he's talking about Kate Torpedo Bombers. Oh, yeah. It's he, on my mind. He's appreciated because he's building the the, the Nakimo 48 scale kit. Yeah, but now that's an old kit. Yeah, that's what he says. It's from his high school years. It is. That is an old kit. Not a bad kit, but it's, it's you know, gosh, I'll bet you that's 1970s vintage. At least. Yeah. You know, if you want a 48-scale Kate, I think that's the only one out there. Really? Yeah, I Probably think. some low fruit for somebody. Yeah, really. Or maybe Hasegawa did. No, Hasegawa, I think, has done it in 48. So in reference to our recent shout-out about fine-scale model returning to, to its roots, that, that was me talking about an episode. That's been a while, though. Um, and he, he, he goes on to say that, uh, I mentioned there was really nothing before fine scale modeler in 1980 or so. He says it's not true, and he's right. There, scale modeling and and military modeler, those did exist, but I guess to 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 I, I should have been a little more specific. I guess there was nothing. Even those magazines were out there, but they did not tackle technique and scratch building and all those kind of at the time advanced techniques to the degree that fine scale modeler did. They just didn't do it. It was a sea change in yes, in ma- in modeling mag- magazine publication. It was just a a revelatory change when you saw the first fine scale which I own and you saw the stuff in it you were like this is amazing. Uh even the articles about stuff that wasn't in your area you know, I started, he mentions it, the, the, the challenge publications out of yes. Canoga Park, California, yeah. in the, from, from the mid sixties up through the late nineties. Uh, they, they published two or three magazines, a few yes. modeling magazines and some other magazines. Hey, I was going to say that, that, <laughs> that's a whole nother story that we won't get into, but challenge did not only, pu- not only published modeling magazines. They had models in them. Yeah, well, yeah. But the the organic kind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I get what he's saying. And, but, but I guess to, to, to the point is those magazines typically had finished models in them. Yes. And they talked about what they did and, and all that. But 
And there were some how tos in there. I'm, I'm, I'm certain. I don't, I don't go right. back to 65 for those magazines. I go back to like 1982 or right. three with those magazines. But uh, fine scale was kind of a step change from for me for that because I, I just wasn't wasn't getting it anywhere else. And for years, that uh, fine scale was the only place. Once they came out, well, he also has a topic for the wheels. So man, we're getting a lot. We're getting a lot of wheel topics. That's good. Keep those coming, guys. <laughs> That's right. Peter Kwong from Vancouver, Vancouver, British Columbia. Up in Jim's neck of the woods. I guess so. Well, he's not. He, he's going to travel even further to see Jim because because of your sales pitches and mine uh-uh. too. I guess about the Nats. He's decided to put that on his bucket list and has planned on attending the twenty twenty three Nats in San Marcos. Plane ticket booked, hotel booked. You are the man. Look us up when you get there. We might even have a beer for you. We might. And I, I'd say you're actually taking that off your bucket list if you've actually booked the stuff. That's right. It's, it's going to be off your bucket list. He's checking the bu- checking it off the bucket list. That's right. So, Peter, come by the table when you're in San Marcos and say hey, and then uh, look for us in the hotel lounge after after all that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll make Dave buy you that beer. I will, I will happily buy you that beer. <laughs> okay, this is one listener mail we got. I think there's a couple They might have spilled over into the Facebook stuff. I'm not sure, but, uh, Tim Holland. Now Tim's, uh, in the model geeks neck of the woods there in Maryland, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Green shirt modeler YouTube. Is that right? Yes. Uh, the AB schemes on the British aircraft. Right. Was not a transposition of the colors. Right. AB scheme was a mirror of the colors. That is absolutely correct. As I have been reminded. The CD schemes were transposed colors of the AB schemes. Yep. It's gets complicated. It does. Thank God they didn't keep doing it that long. <laughs> well, there's, it's probably because it was complicated. Exactly. <laughs> and once you gaffed a plane, did you go back and repaint the whole thing? No, because there, <laughs> there are actual pictures with the Spitfire. You see this in 1940 in the Spitfires and the Hurricanes. And supposedly by the serial code, you knew whether it was an A scheme or a B scheme. But apparently there were ones where they gaffed it. And so there there are photos of ones where the serial number indicates it should be a B and it's an A or vice versa. So that's a whole, there are people out there who know that stuff chapter and verse. I do not. I just know it exists. So if if you need to know that, find your boffin. There is a boffin out there who knows in detail all of that information. And he goes on to say the early bow fighters were introduced in the, you know, when all this was going on. Well, he says summer of 1940, the MAP decided to limit the schemes to just one in an effort to speed production and yeah. allow the manufacturers to choose which scheme they wanted to do. So Supermarine chose A and Hawker chose B. And uh, I don't know what Bristol was. He says some early examples are either A or B, depending on the serial number. Interesting. That is one of those things. You know how you and Evan, when we're all getting together and, and, and modeling and talking, and you and Evan start speaking in stug and all <laughs> of the different, this plant or that plant, this C clamp, this S clamp, et cetera, et cetera. 
there is an entire, just like you and Evan geeking out on that stuff, there is an entire group of people who geek out on all of that A.B. British early war camo stuff. And he says, by autumn 1940, every aircraft was being delivered in either A or B scheme, but not both. Yep. Yep. They phased it out fairly quickly. Uh, he's got some nice words for Barry, Barry Numerics 109s. <laughs> oh, I have to tell you, when I listen to that episode, I am now filing away as one of my favorite stories, Barry Numeric doing that civilian 109 and looking down and realizing he had put the letter codes out of order. It does my heart good that a modeler as great as Barry can make that just, I can see me doing that, looking down and going, great googly moogly. <laughs> so I've, I've got to say, I filed that one away as one of my favorite stories. I hope we get this right. Clement Pudansen from uh, Estonia. Oh, wow. We got a listener in the Baltic. Hey, I love the Baltics, man. Great place. Well, he is uh, clicking through Hasegawa's F4E. Mm-hmm. He thinks it's a bit of a pain due to the modular nature of the kit. What do they do? They chop it up so they can make all the variants from yes, one fam family mold, probably. Exactly. And and, and not only that, but the F4, all the F4 family, just kind of like the F18 family, uh, and also the F14 family, they have curves and and shapes that are actually fairly difficult to reproduce without particularly in years past before slide molding and a lot of the, you know, the latest CAD stuff. So yeah, they're, I, F4s are, are by their very nature challenging aircraft to model. Well, he's trying to get through the Phantom, it's obviously Phantom stash where he starts the fine molds boxings. Gotcha. He's, he's worried he'll never go back to Hasi once he starts. I, I, I sympathize with that set of feelings. Well, Clement, thank you for listening from Estonia. I've got some friends in Estonia from my military collecting hobby, and uh, I think you may be the first modeler from that part of the world that uh, I've uh, had any interaction with. So thank you. Appreciate that. Yep. And finally, from the email side, after this slog, <laughs> our friend from New York City, Mr. Michael Karnalka. Okay, question of the day. Oh, let's see. He actually gives us two, and I get to choose. Okay, choose one. Is there a kit or book that you've had in hand a bunch of times, intended to possibly purchase, but put down a bunch of times, only to find when you finally wanted it, it was gone? Oh, God, yes. And, and you've been looking for it ever since? I have, yes. Absolutely, I have over the years on several occasions. And what ultimately I have found is the book is always available somewhere. The limiting factor becomes the price. Yeah, the comma in it. <laughs> yeah, the comma in it. I, I have had books that over the years I've picked up off of modeling tables and said, you know, I should buy this, but no, nah, let me put it down. In the, and then when I finally say, oh, I need this book, and it turns out that it's completely out of production and, and you know, you can't find it in any of the normal places and you end up going to ABE books and paying a price that 
that uh, hurts significantly. Uh, now, the flip side of that is Jim just experienced there was a book that he's been looking for forever. And it's out of production, out of publication. You know, when you do find it, it's incredibly expensive. And he had the other less than a month ago, a friend of his reached out and said, Hey, you said you were looking for this book. I found it here for this super cheap price. And so because he had mentioned it and people were keeping an eye out for him, he looked and found for a good price, a book that he'd been looking for forever. So if you've got those books that you're looking for, tell all your modeling buddies because one of them's going to see it someplace and they may get you a deal. Out of all those buddies, there's a few of them out there who will actually make good on that. I, I've, I experienced the same thing in my, my collecting hobby, Dave. Talk to people about what you're looking for. And you know who the people are within your circle that that are worth telling this to. Right. Every now and then, somebody comes up with something. Yep, absolutely. It's the way it works. You can't, you can't have eyes on everything all the time. So Not only that, but pay it forward. Be, yep. be that be that guy for your friends, too. Well, Dave, that's it for the email side of listener mail. But I want to go back to Bob Hallinger's one more time because I kind of glossed over that a little too much. Okay. Uh, he says that you mentioned some information you'd receive on paint schemes for the Cates at Pearl Harbor in early 42. Yep. And, and he didn't find anything on the Facebook page or the show notes and uh, wants to do an exchange. If you've got something you can exchange. I've got tons of stuff I can exchange. The, the problem that ultimately you're going to have is that the, <laughs> the ultimate conclusion you will reach in some respects is nobody knows. <laughs> and they uh, can't both can't both be right. Right, exactly. Uh, they could both be wrong. They could both be wrong, but they couldn't both be right. There's a bunch of different information, and I've made some best guesses based on what's out there. But uh, when I was going through this, I talked to I was talking with Steve Husted, and he had a really good point, which is. After 80 years, if nobody knows for sure, it is unlikely that you're going to build your model one way and then the definitive proof is going to come out the other way. So I'll be more than happy to exchange some info with him and let him know what what I've found from the sources that I've got and then leave it to him to leap to his own conclusions. All right. Well, I'm done now, Dave. That's okay. all the email from the listener mail. Well, just just like uh, listener mail, Facebook Messenger has been extremely active lately. Now, let me just leap into it. Uh, listener Charles Rice is a listener who has come along relatively recently, and he's doing what a lot of listeners do when they find us, is they go back and carve through the entire back catalog of all 82 previous episodes. And so occasionally we'll get an email or a, a Facebook message about something that occurred in an episode. In this case, it was episodes in the 40s when you were building your your Zis uh, 2 gun. And he reached out because he had built the Hobby Boss Zis 30, which which is, I believe, the same gun on a motorized chassis. 
Yeah, it's the same gun on a Com Somalia. It's artillery tractor. Oh, the little T twenty tractor. Yep, exactly. So, um, and so he reached out and commented on it because it was fresh from the episode he listened, and then he uh, told Mike what he had done and it exchanged some photos and other stuff. And it's just interesting that we have these past episodes and many people end up going back and no matter when they found us listening to these. And it's really kind of neat to be reminded of something that for us is a year and a half ago. So I I really enjoyed watching you all have that exchange. Uh, Listener Nick Woodside uh, reached out because he has returned to your home area. The Johnson City, Tennessee area. And he was asking about the local club that you had had contact with over the years. And you were able to hook him up with the website info for the Appalachian Scale Modelers Association. So hopefully he's going to make those connections and and get joined into that club. So I saw on their the group's Facebook page that he had joined that and had asked for information and they were starting to give it to him. So good. Hopefully that works out. That's great. That's great. An old modeling friend, Ken Front reached out. Uh, I've known Ken over the years just because we were on forums that were the the same forums going way back to the beginning of the internet. And he reached out because I'm talking about acquiring this cameo and he had acquired it, uh, a cameo. And so he gave me his input. Uh, He said it was probably a mistake for him to have bought a thinner line circle cutter right before he bought the cameo, uh, given the overlapping nature of of what they can do. Uh, But he also, and more importantly, showed pictures of a shelf queen that he had pulled off the shelf and was finishing a 48 scale PBY that he said had been in production for at least 20 years. So it's never too late to finish that shelf queen model, uh, Ken is do Ken is doing it. Um, Frank Blanton reached out, uh, and here is our uh, Richmond yeah, tie-in with my beer. They got a show. They've got a show coming up on February twenty fifth, uh, the Old Dominion in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I spent my formative years. See, told you there's two two tie-ins. Yep, going into Richmond, Virginia. Now, it's the same day as the Columbus show. We're going to be at Columbus. But I have been to the Old Dominion show previously and can highly recommend going. It was a, Now, I went many, 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 many years ago. It was a great show. Really enjoyed it. Richmond is a lovely place, and uh, there's a lot of good history down there. I, I recommend going. So... If you're if you're in the area and looking for a model show on February 25th, the Old Dominion in Richmond, Virginia. We we may have to do that one sometime. I would love to do that one next year if we could arrange it. It's a little little closer than Heritage Con. Not yeah. much. <laughs> well, it's about an hour or two closer than an hour, maybe an hour closer than Heritage Con. We'll see how long it takes us to get to Heritage Con this year. We're going to have to do some on the road. Uh, posting so that uh, people can ride along with us. 
Just be like Cannonball Run, man. Exactly. Uh, I get to be Jackie Chan. Justin Ryan reached out to let us know that the uh, Miniature Figure Collectors Association show in, uh, it's tr- technically Travos, Pennsylvania, but I guess that's technically East Phil- or East or West Philadelphia, is going on May, May 5th and 6th. If you've never been to a figure show, I highly recommend it. Uh, Mike and I have on multiple occasions attended the MMSI show up in Chicago, which is a uh, figure show. And man, the the work is just eye-poppingly amazing. So if you're in the if Philadelphia area on May 5th and 6th, drop on by. It's a two-day show, and uh, I'm sure you'll find it uh, very interesting. Finally, you, I, and Stephen Lee were having an interesting discussion about marketing by model companies and some of the guerrilla marketing tactics and some of the social media marketing tactics and uh, supplying kits for review to YouTube channels. And we had a really great conversation back and forth that was kind of wide ranging. Uh, It was all three of us participating and I'm I'm betting eventually we're going to see something long form from Stephen about the subject because he because he had some very interesting thoughts and observations on it. So that was that was particularly enjoyable. Stephen, thank you for reaching out and and having that discussion. All right, man, are you done? That's it, man. All right. So this is the point in the episode where I ask you to please rate the podcast episode on whatever app you're using to help us drive the visibility of it. Uh, Also, if you know a modeling friend who's not listening to the podcast, would you please ask them to to begin listening? Show them how to do it if they're not tech savvy, Uh, having a current listener Recommend us is one of the best ways for us to grow the podcast. And subscribe, too. Absolutely. And when you've done that, you want to check out the other podcasts in the model sphere, you can go. You can do that by going to www.modelpodcasts.com. That's model podcast, plural. Uh, this is a consortium website set up by Stuart Clark at the Scale Model Podcast on our behalf. And uh, there you will find banner links to all the other podcasts participating in this mutual cross-promotion we've tried to keep going here. In addition to the other podcasts, uh, we got a lot of blog and YouTube friends we'd like to give a little shout-out to. First up, Jeff Groves, the Inchai Guy, his blog, All Things 72nd Scale, with a little history thrown in every now and then. Model Airplane Maker, blog and YouTube channel from our friend Chris Wallace up in Ottawa, who look forward to spending some time with at Heritage Con, for sure. Absolutely. And you've already mentioned Stephen Lee, Dave, Sprue Pie with Frets. Uh, we had a, f- a fun conversation with him this week uh, <laughs> about the big dust up at one of the big train shows. Funny yep. stuff, man. <laughs> oh, things that can happen at scale model hobby stuff. Yeah. Anyway, Steve's got a lot of sh- long and short form blogs, and uh, we'll we'll see what comes 
comes up soon or in the future from our, our past conversation here. And also we want to mention uh, Jim Bates of Scale Canadian TV and our friend Evan McCallum at Panzermeister36 on YouTube, both these gentlemen on YouTube. Keep it up, guys. We look forward to seeing you, hopefully both at HeritageCon. And uh, check out their YouTube channels, people. Evan tells us there's another video coming soon, and I'll tell you I'm really looking forward to it. Finally, if you're not a member of your IPMS national organization, IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, IPMS uh, Norway, Australia, Israel, whatever, please consider joining the national organization. Uh, They're a bunch of guys who are giving up their time to run a national organization to help put structure into uh, the local clubs. They do a lot. A lot of it's behind the scenes and unseen, but there are people giving up their modeling time to make modeling better better for everybody. Please consider joining. All right, Dave, let's take a quick break and have a word from our sponsor. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steam back airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Come and make it in Texas, Dave. How long to wait? Not long, buddy. At the time of this recording, we are 177 days away from the 2023 IPMS National Convention in San Marcos, Texas. That is going to be here before you know it, man. Blink of an eye. And I like that we were starting to get some listener feedback about folks who are going to going to be there. So, well, and that you got to say the the best part of both Las Vegas and Omaha was hanging out with all the listeners. It was the best part. By a- absolutely. Far. I'm looking forward to it. Expect more of that. Oh God, yes. Well, Dave Mojovian Special Agent 003 has a has a a brief report. Okay, and uh, we should probably get into that. Tex-Mex restaurants. Oof. Let's discuss. Oh God, <laughs> I am just just like I had to get a steak when we went to Omaha. I am looking forward to some Tex-Mex in. San Marcos. Well, we'll keep this one brief because uh, he was uh, in San Marcos over the holidays, I think, and then he's going to be back for uh, for the uh, new Braunfels uh, Model Fiesta show. Is that right? Yep. And then, uh, well, Brandon says his uh, Tex-Mex expectations are deservingly high because he's from Houston, and uh, he wants to make sure that the places he recommends are top-notch for a couple of guys driving all the way from Kentucky. That's right, man. So he's going to keep searching out these places uh, in in the uh, San Marcos area. But uh, he says if we make it down to green, uh, he can pitch a Cantina Del Rio. It's right next to the uh, Green Hall music venue and about 20 minutes from the show venue. He says that one's definitely worth checking out. Can't go wrong there. But uh, he's going to try to tighten up uh, the recommendations in the San Marcos proper area. So we look forward to that. So. Oh, yeah. I am looking forward to it. I went to uh, the 1995 Nationals in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and one of the highlights of that convention was all the really great Tex-Mex food in New Mexico. In fact, it, it you know, come back to Kentucky, it ruined me for eating any Tex-Mex <laughs> in Kentucky for six months or a year. Because it just is not the same. And I'm sure the same is going to be true in Texas. 
And I it's one of my favorite cuisines, so I am really looking forward to it. Well, folks, stay tuned. We'll have more from Brandon and uh, what else is happening in, in, the, in the convention locale. So looking forward to it. Not only is this a, a modeling podcast, we can help you have a fine culinary experience. That's right. And maybe listen to some good music. Uh, that's possible in green, there- I guess. Yeah, there's there's musical references on this podcast all the time. It be it certainly would be enjoyable if we were sitting eating Tex-Mex, listening to good music. Well, then now he closes by dropping a little teaser about a secret whiskey bar. So, ooh, always more on that later. All right, or not because we we want to keep the secret. That's right. <laughs> so, folks, make your plans, attend the national convention if you can, and uh, hopefully we'll see you there. Well, we'll move right on into the Benchtop Halftime Report, Dave, brought to us by Tackett Z, our friend Ed Tackett there in Louisville. Please visit www.tackettz.com to see what Ed's been up to. The must-have tools for the model maker. Now, Ed makes a lot of uh, convenience and storage items for your workbench for, via 3D print, so check it out. He may have something you can use. And again, this, this pegboard uh, dropper bottle paint racks, got, got I got my eye on those, Dave. I got to finish my, my workshop space and yep. uh, get me some of those. Yep. There are several things that uh, my bench top is reaching critical mass yet again, and I need to get it organized. And uh, those organizers that he does, uh, I, I really need, to, I've got some, I need to get some more. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, man, what is on your bench? I know what's on your bench, but why don't you tell us about it? What's on my bench is the Arma P51, which... Thank gosh, because my jury trial canceled or settled, uh, is moving along. I've been doing something pretty much nearly every night or every other night. Uh, the major sub-assemblies are now going together. This kit continues to amaze me with its engineering. Now, it's not simply a shake the box and pour it out the other end. It is detailed. It is, it is very fiddly. You, you need to, I mean, it's been highly engineered and it is intended to be put together in exactly a certain way. And if you don't respect it, if you don't pay attention, if you don't clean up those parts, things aren't going to fit. But by the same token, if you do give it that respect, it's a neat model. It is It is certainly, along with the Tamiya Zero, uh, next level modeling. It is a generational leap forward from the stuff we saw in the 2000s and the 2010s. Uh, I continue to be amazed by it. And I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through this one. And I, I can already see myself doing another one. Uh, and that's pretty much the focus until, until we get, I get it done and we go to Heritage Con. This is the focus of my entire workbench. You can have a Kate to enter in Heritage Con. I, I will have the Kate there. Yeah. It's done. And I'll definitely take both it and the P51 and maybe one or two other things. But uh, yeah, no the getting the getting the Arma P fifty one done and getting photographs done 
that's that's my sole focus here for the next few weeks. So you're going to be hearing about this for the next few episodes. What's your bench look like? Well, Dave, the uh, the catapult for the E16 project is back on the bench, and I've started doing all the highlight painting on it. Man, I had a I had a tear last weekend. I think I put in six hours on that thing, which is a lot yeah. for me. It may yeah. not sound like a lot to some folks out there, but for me to get six hours in over a weekend is is pretty darn good. Well, and that's a challenge I have, and I don't know if you – I mean, it used to be I could sit down at a bench and go and go and go and go. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have a tough time modeling for more than about an hour, hour and a half at a stretch, just simply because, you know, my my explanation for it is really old age. I mean, <laughs> things start to hurt, things start to, you know, uh, there's only so much focus I can give it before it, it used not to be that way. So I guess I guess it's just one of the many things with old age. Uh, do you, are you encountering that? I don't know if I'd chalk it up to old age, but by the time all the other duties around here are done, it's nine o'clock Yeah, and, uh, I'm up at five forty to get things going to get my youngest to school by seven thirty. So it's, uh, got to got to take it when you can get it. And I, 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 if I can get six hours over a weekend, cause usually one of those days is shot. I mean, usually oh yeah, like, la- like last weekend. I was in Knoxville at a swim meet with my oldest. So, but still, somehow I got six hours in. Well, that's, listen, you chalk that up as a win. Uh, especially, if, like I said, if you can grab a weekend and get a whole lot done you know, on a weekend. Other than that, I mean, hopefully that's going to move into to more uh, the the washes and, and oil paint rendering kind of work here soon. I've got one more side of the catapult to do before that can start, but uh, it's close. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of sizing up the scheme of the airplane you were joking there's not much to the scheme but uh and it's true there's not but i need to figure out how i'm going to do it because it's got some demarcations on the pontoon struts and the pontoons that uh, aren't trivial right so hopefully i tell you when i get the when i get the thing in the wash and oil paint stage on the catapult i may i think i'm going to start start working on the pole i think i'm going to Probably paint the underside color soon. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with that. Uh, yeah, and that's the, Japanese navy gray. Yeah, once you've primed it, the hitting the give, giving it the underside color is easy. You don't have to do any masking or any of that. You other than the canopy, of course. Uh, but just hit it, get it down, and then you can choose to then put the top color on, or you can play with the bottom colors to your heart's content before you do the top color. I mean, there are several ways to go and none of them is particularly right or wrong. It's just what you feel comfortable doing. Yep. That's true. I I think, well, I've got a bunch of, uh, pre-shading and and marbling. I want to do on it before I actually base coat it. So I I guess I get, I guess I need to do that first. Yep. Yep. Prime it and then go with that. Now there's something else you've done modeling wise, uh, recently. And, uh, you you need to tell people about it. Oh, what's that? Plastic Model Mojo's first product. <laughs> okay, we can call it that, I guess. Uh, yeah, that uh, some folks may have seen on our on the dojo that I, I modeled up a uh, a Soviet era kilometer post marker from uh, 
based on a German photos photograph I picked up off German eBay a while back. Uh, I'm probably going to use that on my KV-85 diorama, but uh, I'm going to be printing that up. And uh, if folks want them, drop us a note and we'll tell you how you can get some. Uh, I've also put it on up on uh, Cult3Ds, which is a uh, a download page where if you've got a printer, you can download the STL there for, for a fee. It's just going to go to support the show. And it's it's really not that big a deal, but I, I thought it's kind of cool to throw it up on Scalemates. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. To have our first plastic model mojo product. Interesting thing about this, and I don't want to, I don't want to just gloss by it. You mentioned this comes from a German World War II wartime photograph where yep. apparently somewhere in the Soviet Union, they had along the road these kind of the equivalent of the French mileposts. Yeah, that's uh, what it is. Or yeah. the old Roman mile mile markers. But it's an interesting design because it's a an obelisk with the base having a star on it. And then there's a place for the number for what mile or I guess, technically kilometer marker. Exactly. And we assume that they're from the, it's a black and white photograph, but I assume from that photograph that we think it's white and red. It's probably red. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just such an interesting little, it's, it's, ephemera but it's really interesting little ephemera that adds a real sense of color and time and place it just i I really liked it i can see why you saw that photograph and snatched it up immediately off ebay yeah it it was pretty cool i i'd never seen one like i've seen a few like traffic signs and, and and road signs yeah which i think many art needs to do at some point. Well, they're doing everybody else's. I'm assuming they, they will they, eventually. They've done everybody but that one so far. Yeah. And uh, maybe the current political situation uh, might have something to do with the current reason they're not they're not doing it. <laughs> oh, I had not even thought of that. Oh, man. You're, you're right. That could be, well, the reason that they've done French, Norwegian, German, Italian, that, et cetera, et cetera. That said, I, I, I can't really understand why it wasn't the first one they ever did yeah yeah because i've got a couple of photographs like i've got a picture of a t26 that's uh like crashed into a line pole that's got Mm -hmm. some kind of trap traffic sign right in front of it and i'd love to do that but i don't know what the sign colors are and that's not really the reason I haven't pers- pursued that project, but sure. it would be nice to know what that stuff is and not have to think about it too much. Well, you mentioned the 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 power pole or the line pole. Is it the type with the sing- a single pole, more like what we think of as an American style, or was it that European style where it's almost not a lattice work, but a it's kind of assembled from beams and multiple, it, it, it you know, has hollowed out center. No, it's, uh, it's not like those concrete poles. Okay. It's, it's a, a wooden pole that's got a, a, a secondary pole, the same diameter, probably, uh, kind of supporting it at 45 degrees. Gotcha. And then the, the tanks run up against it. And then there's this, I don't know. It could be a no passing zone sign for all I know, but whatever it is, it's it's right in front of the tank. 
<laughs> well, you'll have to post that on the dojo and see yeah, if anybody and somebody can probably tell me. I mean, maybe their signs haven't changed all that much. I don't. I know. would. I would bet that's probably the case. Other than that, what else have I been working on? Uh, I, I think I probably talked about the hot wire cutting of the roadbed for the KV eighty five base last time. Yeah. Uh, not much progress there. I I need to assemble the other set of tracks to get them on the tank so I can pose everything. I think I've selected which of the two options I've created for myself that I'm going to use. But uh, other than that, stay tuned. I haven't made much progress there yet. And you've done one run of tracks, but not done the second. Right. And, and the tracks were tank craft, right? Yes, they are. They're very nice, but yeah, hopefully more on that later. Good. That's all I got on my bench right now. All right. Well, it's it's an active bench. Uh, go check the dojo out, and we both post occasionally. And once we're getting to the point where I'm probably not going to post a lot more pictures of the P51 because I kind of want it to be a surprise when it's completed. Um, but the go check the dojo out because there are posts of uh, what we're doing and what other modelers are doing. Yeah, I think uh, the Just Making Conversation guys posted the uh, the correction of the mismatched tire tread. I I, I, I probably wouldn't have posted that one. <laughs> well, I, I I will I will ad- I admire what they did. I think that that was an uh, that that was a gutsy move on their part. So I'll I'll be interested to see all of these models finish. That's so right. But my but my now, only now it's a ding if you don't do it. Yeah, that's right. My goal is just to finish the model. I'll tell you what, given the <laughs> given the modelers that I'm up against, all I want to do is finish and not be embarrassed by it. So, Mike, uh, it's been a while. Are there a lot of faves and yawns that you've seen? There's a few. There's a few. Well, see, that's it, this is interesting because to me, there aren't. There hasn't been much since the last time we did this, but there's been what I think are some interesting developments. So as we go through this, I want to I want to kind of broaden the conversation a little bit more than our usual faves and yawn. Well, we've we've done that in the past, so yeah, I think I think in my selection, I've probably done that as well. So go ahead. The first is a fave, and it's a it's a joint fave. Okay. Uh, Tamiya and Border Models have both announced Jagdpanzer L70, the A version, the Alket version, which is the the tall superstructure on the Panzer IV J chassis. Yeah. Every anybody paying attention out there knows that the uh, the the posse got uh, dibs on the uh, the reveal on that in North America at least, and uh, that Tamiya kit looks pretty nice. Yes. You're kind of uh, locked into the first production series with that kit because it's got link and length track that are pre-molded for four return rollers. And the later version, the later version had three in the simplification of that vehicle. So the, to me, you're, you get a, you probably get a superior fitting kit and an easy build. It looks like the border model is, is going to facilitate both production series for that thing. Well, uh, but, and the the, com- the commentary that Evan has, uh, of course, this this is a uh, vehicle that Evan is pr- very familiar with, and some of the commentary that he's been making and sharing with us regarding what's on the kit and what's missing from the kit 
and why it's missing from the kit because of the particular prototype that both manufacturers may have based the model on has been endlessly fascinating to me. Again, I don't, you know, this isn't my area, but it's just really interesting that he points out these things and why they make a difference and where they make a difference. Well, the whole timing of this is interesting because way back when Dragon was a new company, they came out with this vehicle. It was really a pretty bad kit. Yep. And I I bought one. I don't know where it is now. Probably in the trash. I never built it. It it was just not a good kit. And I've been thinking about buying their 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 later release they've they've got a couple of boxings i think of this vehicle that are you know they're of newer uh lineage than the original so now there's these other two options and and i'm i'm gonna end up with one of them i don't find up with both of them but i could i'll i'll be interested to see what you and evan conclude from the modern dragon kit, the border kit, and the Tamiya kit, exactly what different versions can all be built from those. And there's actually another kit. The uh uh TriStar had a kit of this vehicle that Hobby Boss is is boxing now. Oh really? I did not yeah. know that at all. Now wow. I, I don't rem- I don't recall the I bet if I got on on the uh the old Perth military modeling site and look back through those reviews, I could find uh, what's up with that kit. Cause that's kind of the vintage of that thing is when that website was kind of the, right. the big thing. Well, you know what? I, 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 I wouldn't doubt that Evan might eventually take on the task of taking those kits and looking at them and telling you, okay, you can build this version and this version and this version by combining this and this and this, Uh, which, you know, if you got to do some cross-kitting to get the one you want, you know, it's nice to at least have that option. How about you? You got a first one here? I've got a first and an only fave. And it's not, (laughs) okay, it's not, I don't want to say it's not really a fave. Bro plan has announced a vacuform CA-133. <laughs> I have no business buying a vacuform model. I am not going to build a vacuform model. But I happen to have Aviation USK many years ago released a short-run kit of the CA-133. And I like the CA-133. It's an Italian high-wing trimotor transport. In particular, there's a photograph that I, and this is one of those things where I turn into Mike and I am inspired by a photograph. There is a photograph where the Italians, when they were uh, fighting in East Africa, what is now Somalia and, and Eritrea and all that, the Italians transported CR-42 fighters crated up inside of a C-133. And there's a fantastic photograph of a CR-42 that's disassembled and it's in a crate, an open open frame crate, and it's inside the, the fuselage of the C-133. And it's a really inspiring photograph. I'm 
I know I'm never going to build the aviation us kit. So the chances of me buying the bro plan kit and using parts of it to assist in building the aviation us kit are probably less than zero, but I'm probably going to do it anyway. And I, it just, it is what it is. And it will be in my estate sale at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> but I have an affinity for their that aircraft. And I, other than that photograph, I have little or no explanation for why. So you got a favor, Yawn? I got another one that's got me interested. Okay. And I, I've mentioned this before, but I think since we've talked about it, there's some some new news. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna at some point this year take a science fiction diversion. Okay. Because uh, AMT under the uh, is it is it round know, two? Yep, I know what's coming. Yeah, they're thirty second scale Tie Fighter. We talked about this during our call in show. Right. Uh, Cult TV man is taking pre orders on that sucker now. Yep. So I'm gonna get in line, I guess. I wonder if it'll be available at Wonderfest this year. I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> Wonderfest is a little, a little late, later than usual. It's in yes. June this year. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, that's my other fave. I'm, I'm going to be picking that one up at some point and uh, seeing what sci-fi is all about. I, I think there are great things you can do with it. And it's a great palette to have fun with and painting and weathering wise um, to play with. So I can see the attraction. Now, mine. Next one's not a favor a yawn. It's a, I noticed this and isn't this interesting. Obviously, before I do, we do these faves and yawns. One of the things I do is I go and I look at scale mates, what the upcoming releases, particularly in 72nd scale, but also 35th and other scales. And in the last few months, the proliferation of 3D printed items has just exploded. Now, we've talked about in the past 3D printed figures, 72nd scale 3D printed figures, and noted the proliferation of those. Well, now there are manufacturers coming out of the woodwork. And what's interesting to me is that it's almost all accessory stuff. And at Las Vegas and at Omaha, there was, I don't want to call it a moral panic, but there was a panic over what 3D printed kits were going to do to the hobby and and how you should treat them. Should they have their own category, particularly if they're not multi-part kits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I've noticed is, at least for the moment, Sure, there are people like Vargas who are releasing full 3D printed kits, and there are other manufacturers doing that as well. But much more of what is coming out as 3D printed are accessories. Things like that kilometer marker that you that you printed up, the tool clamps, oil cans, uh, uh, no-tech lights, whatever it is. The vast majority of the stuff getting announced on Scalemates is 3D printed, and the vast majority of the 3D printed stuff are accessories rather than full items. 
I wonder if that's going to continue. And I wonder if it's going to lead to a renaissance that's equivalent to when VLS first started doing a whole bunch of accessories and resin. And suddenly, you know, the diorama category was filled with models where you could walk down and it was almost like looking at a VLS catalog because you could spot the resin Buddha or the, uh, the, the little roadside shrine or the, the cemetery cross or whatever it was and was used again and again and again by everybody when VLS was about the only game in, in town. But I just noticed it. I don't know what it means. I don't know where it's going. But it's an interesting trend, and I'm interested to see, particularly since anybody with CAD skills and one of the, and a high-tech 3D printer, a really good one, can put out a lot of really good product. I'll be interested to see how far this goes and when it reaches a saturation point. I don't have a yawn either. It's not so much a yawn, but more of a... A, a curiosity about the direction of things and it's the direction of things based on Airfix's 2023 announcement <laughs> because on the aircraft front 72nd scale got pretty much skunked by Airfix. Yes. Yep. Wh- which is interesting because arguably that's their legacy scale. It is, it is, they are 72nd scale. That is, everyone knows them from their 72nd scale line. But I, I think that's getting quickly relegated to nostalgia. It seems, and they've had some new announcements, but uh, you know, not this year, other than, uh, well, there's one. Right. Is it, what was it, F 35? Yes. But it seems that they're, moving from their, their legacy and really striving to be a, a player in the 48th scale realm. Yes. And also in they they've made a foray into 35th scale armor, uh, cooperative with, uh, Academy to begin with, but then they're now doing more stuff on their own. Although I think Academy may be tooling some of it. Um, I, we, I will tell you, like a lot of 72nd scale modelers, uh, we were shocked that the announcements for 2023 were so devoid of new 72nd scale stuff. But then again, I'm not sure. One year does not make a trend. A data point, one data point does not make a trend. And neither does two, to be honest. Well, true enough. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm interested to see where this goes long term. I do think that it is inarguable that Hornby, Airfix, and their parent company, Hornby, have decided that they are not going to limit themselves to being a 72nd scale manufacturer who occasionally does something else. They are clearly going to at least be a more full and well-rounded manufacturer. Now, whether that means they're going to kick 
72nd scale to the curb, or it just means that instead of being the preeminent scale for Airfix, it's just now one part of their line, I think only time will tell. Uh, Additionally, Airfix and its relation to Hornby, uh, my understanding is that Airfix is the arm of the uh, conglomerate Hornby that is doing the best. And so you kind of wonder, are they going to focus on Airfix because of that? Or are they going to use the income that Airfix is providing to shore up the other parts of the Hornby empire? I don't know. I would love, I would love to sit down with, you know, the, the CEO of Airfix or the CEO of Hornby and have those business discussions. Cause again, I am, I'm, I'm kind of geeked out on the business side of the hobby. And so I would love to, to have those discussions, but at least for now, we've got a data point where that leads us. I don't think we're going to know for a few years, but it is an interesting observation. Got anything else? Nope. That's it. Getting the right sized base for your model diorama or vignette can be difficult and time consuming. Bases by Bill has the solution with their all-new custom-sized display bases. Offering sizes of 4 to 30 inches, you choose the dimensions you want and get the size you need every time. And they can laser engrave the base with a unit emblem or text all to your specifications. Better still, shipping is included within the lower U.S. 48 states. Built by modelers for modelers, Bases by Bill has bases and display cases for any type of model and for any size. Visit their website at basesbybill.com to see their products or to get your own custom-built base or display case quote. Use the code MOJO at checkout to apply a 15% listener discount to your order. That code again is MOJO for 15% off. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. Well, Dave, our special segment tonight is 2023 charting a course. Uh, we're already a month or so into the new year, so we're a little bit late, at least publicly. We've been talking behind the scenes for oh, sure. Yeah. So what are we going to do on this journey, man? Uh, hoist up the John B. sail. There you go. I like that song, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, I was looking at it, and at least the first half of 2023 – my modeling course is kind of charted for me. Now, normally that might bother me a little bit, but I don't find myself bothered. Um, basically, what I'm looking at for 2023 is I have to get the Musaru done. I cannot embarrass Plastic Model Mojo. I have to uphold the standard you set. And while I don't expect to come away with a victory, I at least have to present a finished model. So that is my focus for the next month, month and a half. Uh, I've got then, because for the model geeks, uh, they followed my suggestion for what their group build for the nationals should be in 2023. 
I feel a certain obligation to participate in that group build and finish a model. So immediately upon the Musaru being done, I will be diving into getting a Navy MIG killer done. I've got the last touches on the Kate. I've also got the B-52 and 144 scale. So the first half of my modeling year is pretty much set for me. Now, normally that might bother me a bit because I don't like deadlines and I don't like getting sucked into group builds and such. But actually, I'm feeling pretty good about this. Uh, My real question is what I'm going to do after the Nationals and what I'm going to do for the rest of the year. And I've got a bunch of choices and I'm not, at this point, I'm not thinking about it too hard. I've got some potential candidates. I've got some things I want to do that are on my, that have moved up the to build list. But right now I've kind of decided I'm not going to stress on that until after San Marcos. And then once San Marcos comes, then I'm going to sit there. By that time, I should have a relatively clean slate and I'll get to make some decisions. Not only that, but assuming in the first half of the year, I can get done the models I want to get done then 2023 could be the most productive year I've ever had. Um, we'll see, but I'm, and maybe this is just me being happy that the Musaru's going well, that my case settled, that I've got more time to model, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe I'm being overly optimistic right now. But then again, at the beginning of the year, you should be overly optimistic. You should have goals that exceed your grasp. I mean, if not that, then what are dreams for? Uh, So I I like the way 2023 is shaping up for me. How about you? Well, on the the build front, uh, I really need to get the the Paul done so I can shut up about it. (laughs) And I want to get it done. Right, because I've got other things in that vein, in that genre that I want to do, and I'm I'm not going to start any of them until that sucker's right. finished. It's a learning experience, so I'm taking my time. Obviously, I'm taking my time, learning a lot, but uh, yeah, you know, probably a little procrastination in there too. Uh, the KV85 project is not so hot that I feel like I need to get that done. I mean, that's that's a a, a subject I've wanted to tackle for. Gosh, 12, 13 years now, and I, I got off to a couple of false starts, and, and now I think I've got a solid plan to get the model that I want built, and I got a way to do it. Uh, but, but still, I've, I've added some, you know, the articulated suspension is something I've never done really before, and trying to trying to keep the uh, the bar high on the base like I tried to do with the uh, ZIS-2, mm-hmm. keep, keep the work kind of at a high level. You know, well, that's a relative term. Try to keep it right. at, try to keep it equivalent to the subject, the primary subject anyway. Would right. probably be a better way to say it. And I've, I've got a couple things I want to start this year and you know I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm going to build hope to build X number or finish X number. Uh I I read a post a week or so ago that kind of resonated with me a little bit about 
do the best you can with what you with what you what you can get done and and don't worry about finishing so many and, and that that may that may run counter to our we've talked a little bit about a a philosophy that you were exposed to recently about uh, build faster your skills will catch up i'm i'm not sure i've bought into that yet but uh i, I understand where, the, where that's going but uh i i think i just want to do the best with what i feel i can swallow well and and i i'll be honest with you mike i actually have come um, in, and this is a fairly recent revelation for me or thought for me that now i think finishing a model brings great satisfaction i ultimately want to have a collection of models in my case that are things that i want to have so finishing is important from that respect but i i'll be honest with you i have more and more in the last six months, and I bang on with Jim all the time about teasing him about finishing or not finishing a model. Speaking of which, he recently finished one. Kudos, Jim. But if you're getting enjoyment out of sitting down at the bench and building and doing what you're doing, I'm not so sure that finishing is the be-all and end-all. I do think it's important because I do think that finishing something gives you a sense of accomplishment and spurs you on to to build more. But I'm not sure that that's really the biggest part of it because with this Arma Hurricane or Arma P-51, I'm sitting down I'm building these little sub-assemblies. It's been super enjoyable on its own, as as its own thing, you know, uh, solving this particular problem or seeing engineering-wise how they did this or how they intended something to be put together is satisfying in its own right. So, you know, I think I'm coming around to a philosophy that, Finishing isn't quite as important as I may have previously uh, believed it to be. Now, again, I don't want to say you shouldn't finish or that, but yeah, we don't want to justify our own procrastination. Here. Yeah, exactly. That's that's <laughs> the difference. That's the difference between it. If you're getting enjoyment out of what you're doing, that is the single most important thing about a hobby. Because that's what a hobby is. A hobby is an escape from the pressures of life. And if you're getting enjoyment out of it, whether you finish is secondary. But by the same token, you're right. You don't want to just simply justify procrastination when you could finish and you don't for, you know, fear or... or you know, some other reason, but I'm getting more and more enjoyment out of this hobby. <laughs> and maybe part of that's getting older too. I, I I do wonder what effect getting older has on making the hobby more enjoyable. But as far as 2023 goes, we're sitting here talking about modeling and what we want to accomplish and what I want to finish and whether or not finishing is really that important. I'll tell you a big part of what I'm looking forward to 2023 is you and I are sitting here planning out all of the contests we're going to go to. And 
I got to news for you. That's that's got me as jazzed as anything about anticipating what model I'm going to build next. Well, I want to get stuff done for sure, and I'm looking over my shoulder now at what I need to get done. But I tell you, aside from finishes, something I hope to do more of is is something I've I've started doing already in the first month and month and a week of 2023 is you know our our guest and friend Steve Husted mentioned early on our first our first segment with him about about he he was saying like 30% of his modeling time is spent experimenting yeah so i want to keep doing that I, I think i've 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 tried to embrace that philosophy a little bit and i i look over and i've got a like a T34 turret paint mule and I, I did some stuff on it over the, the last two weeks and it was because I, I want to try to, I've got some things I want to try. Some of them are things I've seen done on by other modelers. Others are things I've seen. Like I, I noticed a, a paint behaves a certain way when I do something and I'm, I'm thinking like, well, wow, I wonder if I could port that over and like do the entire model that way. And what would that look like? And I've been trying to do some of that stuff. And yeah. it's, it's all behind the scenes. I, I, you know, I'm not stuff I've, I've run off and posted to Facebook or anywhere and, or even share with you for, uh, to a large degree. Uh, but I want to, I want to keep doing that because I think, you know, I don't want to learn a new technique on the one I'm trying to make nice. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. So I've got, I've got this KV 85 and I want to have all my new approach to doing Russian green kind of in my head before I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be trying to figure it out on the KV 85. So I'm experimenting. Well, and that, that argues for things like out of the box builds of simplified kits. I mean, take a Russian kit, a Russian hobby boss kit of something and just, you, you know, you have no emotional investment in it. You're not building it to display. You're not doing anything other than using it as, hey, I'm going to put this together only because I want to do and try this or that. And if it doesn't work out, you know what? I'm going to throw it in the trash or repaint it or or do something else with it. And, and I, I do think that there is huge value in that, not only huge value in that from a skills and technique standpoint. But I think there's a huge value in that in a learning standpoint. One of the things that a hobby, I think to be a successful hobby for an individual, again, I talked about, you know, relaxation, that, that what a hobby should be is something that you enjoy and is you find relaxing. One of the other things is I think that as you improve your skills in a hobby, it brings you additional enjoyment. Just like a bass fisherman, you know, uses a new technique or a new lure, uh, even finds a new fishing hole or whatever it is. Or a golfer tries a new club or alters their swing and it improves their game that brings a satisfaction in and of itself. Even if you don't score better in your round of golf, the fact that you learned a new technique and you got, you, you learned something new 
in and of itself, I think, adds to the satisfaction and therefore the enjoyment of the hobby. Another thing that I've, I've found interesting is this 3D printer I bought. You know, I, I get out there and I look what other people are doing, and there's some folks out there uh, doing some pretty amazing CAD modeling and printing yep. on, on their particular printers. Yep. And I, I don't know if that's someplace I'm going to end up. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if it's a goal, but it could certainly be, I could certainly sneak up on that and, and backdoor my way into, into something like that. Uh, but what I've noticed is since I've had this thing, the way I've, the way I've already implemented it or utilized it, uh, there's, there's some really tiny detail parts on the, the, the launch trolley for the E16 that I, that I, I did some of the first parts I printed on this thing for, for right. reuse. Uh, the, the tower for the catapult is 3d printed. Right. And, and then I've done this little obelisk, this little kilometer marker. I mean, it's kind of a quick and dirty CAD thing based on a, a, a real photograph, but, um, it's, it's kind of reaffirmed my position that I wanted a tool and not a, a new, another hobby. Right. Because the, the things I've done were wealth with my skill set already. And I've, I've been able to knock them out and, and get the parts I wanted really fast. And it's, it's not turned into this, this game of what's the most intricate thing I can design and see if I can print it. Yeah. And I, that could be in my future too. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes in 2023. I'm, I'm going to use this thing a lot, I think. And, and I, but I, but I don't think it's going to be, knocking out some yet to be done 35th scale kit. Right. It's probably not what's going to happen. Well, well, that goes back to my faves and yawns comment where at least so far, it seems that a lot of the 3d printed stuff is for one of a better term, bonus stuff, stuff that you can do in 3d printing that would take much more time to do as a resin cast effort and adds to a model or a diorama or whatever, but doesn't replace any of the things that we think of as traditional modeling. And I'm interested to see where this develops. I think 3D printing in the next four or five years is going to be one of the most interesting parts of the hobby, along with Gundam's science fiction and kit lighting. I think those are probably areas where we're going to see a lot of rapid growth and development. And I kind of am anxious to see exactly what that turns into. Sure. What else are you hoping for for 2023? Well, this is related to the thing about shows. I think it's inarguable that you and I are getting in the last two years, a crap load more enjoyment out of this hobby than we have in the previous 10. Yeah. And that is all down to the fact that we interact with so many more people. Uh, the, 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 the nationals in Vegas and Omaha were mind blowing from a social interaction standpoint. Um, 
I will tell you, I've, again, I've been to 26 nationals over the years. I've had a lot of fun. I don't think I've ever had more fun in my modeling life than at the nationals Friday night in our hotel room in the adjoining hallway with all of these other modelers who I will again point out that modelers are in general some of the just nicest, greatest, funnest people to hang around with. And Omaha it will be a high point for me. Uh, one that I'm not sure we're going to ever top, but I'm looking forward to trying. <laughs> in some regards. At least, at least, yeah, uh, at least as long as we don't end up in jail somewhere. But that is for 2023, and it, it goes hand in hand with contests because that's where we get these interactions. Although we get them on the dojo and with uh, direct messages and other stuff too. I am just looking forward to spending time at shows, talking with somebody I have never met before who I may or may not have interacted with online or in the dojo or wherever, and just exchanging information. Some of those have been some of the most pleasant memories that I've had in the last two years. And really, that's a, the best part of, of modeling is the people. So, um, you know, not to sound all sappy and, you know, we're not going to sing K Sarah Sarah or whatever, but I'm really looking forward. It's one of the reasons I am looking forward to going to Canada. I mean, no American in his right mind should look forward to going to Canada. <laughs> that shot was for Jim and Evan and Chris. Ah, uh, no, I love Canada. But seriously, I am looking forward to the fact that we have managed to, and it was unclear whether we were going to be able to arrange our lives such that we'd get to do it. I am so stoked that we're going to spend an entire weekend in Canada with a bunch of really great modelers that we know and have become acquainted with because of the podcast. And I, you know, not not to go all Joe DiMaggio, but I I consider myself <laughs> the luckiest man on the face of the earth. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. So you're gonna arrive in Canada wearing a ankle length fur coat there, Joe. <laughs> oh, that's that's that's, uh, that's Joe right. Namath. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's Joe Namath, not Joe DiMaggio. Although if I could show up with if I could show up with Marilyn Monroe on my arm, eh, you know, it didn't work out. I, I my wife might not like that, but other other than that. Didn't work out for Joe either. It didn't work out for Joe either. <laughs> or Marilyn for that matter. Well, folks, what are you doing for 2023? And what would you like to see from us in 2023 from the podcast standpoint? I know we have some uh, stuff we're hoping to do, but we're not going to go all into that just yet. And uh, you'll learn about it when you hear about it. Uh, let us know what you think about 2023. We're, the pandemic is hopefully way in the rearview mirror at this point, And things are settling out and uh, the shows are getting better. And, and it's just going to be a good time. It is. It absolutely is. And we do want to hear, we're serious. What is it that you want? If you've got a goal in 2023 
or if there's a skill you want to pick up in 2023, or there's a particular model you, you've always wanted to build, and this is the year you've decided it's better now than never, let us know, because those are great kickoff points for discussions uh, for us and therefore for interactions with the, with the community. So, Mike, we're we're here toward the end. Uh, I assume your your modeling fluid is just about wrapped up. Well, I've doubled down. They're both wrapped up, and it was really, really good. I, this Russell has promise, man. You're really. I, I don't know. It's 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 is a little bit up on the sweet spectrum versus my my fave my bullet my fave or my possibly my former fave at this point. Gotcha. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's not too sweet. Uh, it's a good pour, man. It's, it's got a lot of flavor. You're getting that from the 10 year aging and it's just, right. It's really good. And and for the price point, it's, it's exceptional. Really. I mean, I really, now when you, when you refer to sweet, you're not going maker's mark sweet. It's, it's a step down from that. No, it's a step down from that for sure. But it's okay. It's, it's a, it's enough when you just start up that curve. I yep. think you get a flavor enhancement before it becomes the dominant kind of thing you're experiencing in the in the bourbon. Gotcha. And that's yep. kind of that's kind of where this is. It's it's and you know that might make Russell a really good introductory bourbon for people coming into bourbon because that's one of the things that Makers has always been is a nice way to introduce people to bourbon where the where the the sweet kind of distracts from everything else yeah, to makes, begin with makes it easy but I, I don't know i think i wouldn't go there I, I would i would start somebody on a basil hayden's still because the well, flavor, that's, a, that's a, always good choice yeah, it's not it's not so sweet but the but the the complexity is there yeah well what about your beer my friend well uh i will tell you that uh, stone has done themselves proud delicious ipa is delicious 7.7% ABV, so it's, you know, it's not Budweiser or anything. It's got some body to it. There's a little bit of an aftertaste to it. It's not unpleasant, but I can't quite identify what the aftertaste was. I will tell you for, you know, you think of IPAs as hoppy and bitter. This one was not. It, it was very, very smooth. Uh, from the first sip, so uh, I I can endorse that. I would I would drink that again in a heartbeat. Well, sounds like I had success, Dave. It is. So, Mike, we're here toward the end of the episode. Uh, I assume that you have some shout outs. I'd like to shout out the folks who have contributed on Patreon or PayPal. It really does help us. Uh, We've been doing a lot lately in regard to trying to expand what this podcast is and all the things we do. And there is no way that we could do any of that without those of you who have chosen to contribute either for through pod, uh, through PayPal or through Patreon. And I want to thank you now. 
I'm sure Mike will do so as well. <laughs> I will. If you want to join the ranks of those folks, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash plastic model mojo. There you can make a recurring contribution from any amount from a dollar on up and Patreon will handle the uh, recurring billing for you. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution or manage your own contribution, you can do that by going to www.plasticmodelmojo.com. And there in the upper right-hand corner of the screen, you will find a heart icon. That icon will take you to our PayPal page. And there you can make a donation of any size you want. Uh, You can come back and do it every month if you want, or just one time if you want, whatever you want. Uh, We appreciate every stinking penny you guys are sending sending us. It has made a lot of things possible for us regarding bringing you show content and and making it easier for us to edit, to bring it to you uh, with less work from our part. And we just thank you and thank you again for for doing that. It's just been been great that you guys vote with your wallet. Thank you. I'd like one more shout out, and that is Mr. Stephen Lee. Uh, you, he, and I had a really good discussion that I mentioned earlier regarding, you know, modeling and, and the way different companies are marketing uh, their their products in the modeling space. And it was just really an enjoyable conversation. Now, again, I, I kind of geek out on the business side of the hobby. Uh, I don't know if that's my attorney background or whatever, but I find those discussions really, really enjoyable. And Stephen had a really interesting perspective. And then bringing in the conversation from a recent train show was a, just really great. And and. So I want to I want to shout out him and his blog. He does a really really good job, and I don't want this to sound like damning with faint praise or whatever. But he's very thoughtful about about his perspectives on all of this stuff, and I really enjoy and value that. So I want to, I want to shout out Stephen. And if you're not, uh, if you're not a regular reader of Sprue Pie with Fretz, you're missing some really, really interesting insights into modeling as well as just some really good modeling. Well, I've got another one, Dave. It's kind of on the same vein. Uh, Michael Karnalka, you know, he sends us those questions. uh, Yes. Every, every couple of weeks, but uh, he and I had a nice conversation via email about uh, model sphere stuff to kind of keep it at a high level. And I just wanted him to know that I appreciate the conversation. It was really helpful for me and served as a, a bit of an affirmation to what we have going on here. So look forward to more from Michael. Well, and you know what? It's really interesting that he comes up with an interesting and thought-provoking question each and every time for us to include in the podcast. And nobody asked him to do that. We didn't recruit him. He do, He's doing that for his own, contra, uh, own contribution to the conversation. And it is super appreciated because every time the question is something that I have to go, hmm, let me think about that for a minute. And and sometimes I'm surprised by my own answers. So I second that. Really, thanks a bunch. Well, Dave, it looks like we're near the end of another one. 
And as we always say, so many kicks, Mike. So little time, Dave. Take it easy, man. You too.